We are joined now in studio by Senator Zellner Myrie of Brooklyn and on the phone by Senator Liz Kruger of Manhattan. Uh, Senator Kruger, are you on the line? Yes, I am. Well, welcome to Max and Murphy. Thanks for joining us. Senator Myrie, good to see you. Good to see you, too. Thank you for having me. Um, We didn't want to have you both in the studio because we know you spent so much time together over the last six months. (laughs) You know, you need your space from each other. Um, Oh, we like each other. Of course, of course, of course. Um, So, Senator Kruger, let's start with you. Um, You've obviously uh, are a veteran of of Albany, but this was a a very different dynamic this year. As we look back on the Albany year, January to June, with the new uh, Democratic majority in your chamber in the Senate, working with the returning majority in the Assembly, and of course, Governor Cuomo, all Democratic control, what are your big takeaways? What are a couple things that uh, you've now gone back to your district end of the session and you're just uh, couldn't be couldn't be happier about? Well, I'm actually still cavelling <laughs> over how much we were able to get done this year. Things that I had been telling my district I was trying to accomplish for the entire 17 years, we passed the most important rent regulation tenant protection law really, I think, since 1974. We expanded on voter rights and election reform with our brand-new leader and chair of the Elections Committee sitting with you right there, (laughs) Zellner Myrie. We passed the Reproductive Health Act, ensuring that New York state law protects men and women to make their own decisions about their reproductive health and lives the insanity going on in other parts of the country. We passed the strongest climate um, control and planning document of any state in the country. We did major changes for public transportation. You know, again, the list just keeps going and going. Consumer rights, um, significant consumer rights that will help them both have rights protected before money stolen from them or cost them less money. I'm sure Zellner can now pull out another list. Yeah, let's uh, talk about. <laughs> yeah, so I, I, it is remarkably extensive. I mean, we, we tried to pull it together recently at Gotham Gazette just to try to give everybody a cheat sheet. And it's just it is quite a long list of things that moved. Go it, ahead. It, no, it's incredibly extensive. And when you're hitting grand slams every week, people forget about the singles and the doubles that loaded the bases. And so uh, there were things that we did that didn't get as much play, but uh, really are important for people in our districts. So we restored $20 million for foreclosure uh, home prevention. We restored $500 million in Medicaid cuts. We got a $618 million increase for our public schools. Uh, and, and that's just to name a few. We uh, added speed cameras. Uh, we have now regulated student loan lenders. And so there really was just an incredible amount of work done, and I couldn't be prouder. And so we we allowed uh, Senator Kruger to uh, to cavell. I think now the the opposite, and this is this is a, this is a lapsed Catholic talking, but is to covet, right? Is there anything you covet about in terms of what has not been done or has not yet been done, uh, Senator? Why don't we start with you in the studio? Sure, um, and you know, of course, this is an issue that that Senator Kruger uh, worked tirelessly on. Uh, you know, we did not get legalization of marijuana. I've, you know, we expanded decriminalization. I do believe that we will get there. We're going to continue to fight for it. I think on the elections front, uh, I really wanted to see the restoration of voting rights for parolees. Uh, that's something that is, uh, you know, in effect by way of executive order. But I think we need to strengthen it and codify it in our in our books. Um, you know, and I think that there are.
are a number of other protections that we need, even on the housing front. We fought very hard for good cause. Uh, we did not get that this year. And right now, as the law stands, you can still be evicted uh, for no good cause at all. And so uh, we're going to continue to work on that. I want to come back to, I actually wanted to ask you because we had a listener uh, or at least someone who follows follows me on Twitter answer that uh, they wanted a question about the parolee voting rights. So let me come back to that in a minute. But Senator Kruger, um, I know Senator Myrie probably took your answer about marijuana, but what what's on your list of, of things that you're kvetching about? Okay, so yes, it's true. I was hoping we would actually finally pass my bill on legalizing and taxing marijuana. We did not get there, but we did do decriminalization or some decriminalization and expungement of probably 300,000 people's records from the criminal justice system, and we regulated the hemp CBD world. So we sort of got halfway there, and I believe we can get there next year. I agree, Elizabeth, we didn't get everything done on housing and tenants. Now we need to really focus on investing in ensuring we're building more affordable housing for people throughout the state. While we technically have on paper a total commitment of $550 million for NYCHA, within the budget and capital proposals, getting those dollars released by the governor and department of budget to actually go to New York City for its intended purpose is a secondary fight now that we have that money promised on paper. Um, I believe that the state needs to completely reevaluate how we define economic development activity and how we're using taxpayers' money um, I don't believe we're using it correctly, and I don't think we're getting much bang for our buck. So those are some of the places I'll be starting again the minute we get back up to Albany or before. So we have to take a quick station break for a mandated uh, a little promo, but we'll be right back on Max and Murphy. Stay with us. We'll be with, right back with Senators Kruger and Myrie. Stay tuned. And we're back on Max and Murphy here on WBAI 99.5 FM talking about the 2019 state legislative session with two people who were part of it, Manhattan Senator Liz Kruger and Brooklyn Zone Zellner Myrie of the Senate. And we've talked a little bit about uh, marijuana legalization, which ended up being decriminalization so far. And I wanted to ask both of you to talk a little bit about the dynamics behind that. Back in January, I would have said, I think marijuana legalization is very likely. I think driver's licenses for undocumented New Yorkers was not. It ended up being that I was totally wrong. (laughs) Um, And I think maybe that has something to do with the dynamics of this very large Senate majority that you are all both part of now. But um, starting with you, Senator Kruger, what do you think explains why one got through and the other did not? Marijuana, even though people talk about it as if it's one issue, is actually a whole series of complicated issues. And so when you were attempting to get 32 votes in the Senate or 76 votes in the Assembly, you would discover that you'd have people on A, B, and C, but D and E were problems. And then you would learn D and E were fine over here, but A, B, and C. So it was a a giant bill that kept getting bigger, and I understood that, which meant it was harder to actually sell people on. Um, And I really did believe that moving it through in the budget process was the right way to do it. The Senate, the Assembly, and the Governor were having three ways throughout the budget process. For whatever reason, towards the end, the Governor pulled away from the three ways and 
basically determined he wasn't going to try to put it in the budget. And so we lost that opportunity, but then we got back in the saddle and attempted again, Crystal People Stokes from the Assembly and myself from the Senate, to try to move it as a freestanding bill. We really wanted the governor back at the table with us. The big, complicated issues really do make sense to be three-way. And he was not there or extremely tentative and messaging very strangely as to whether he supported or didn't support. So we just couldn't bring it over the line at the end. But I do believe we can do so next year. So is now, the undocumented licenses, while controversial for some people, was one direct assignment. And I have to say, um, Zelmer and I have one specific colleague, Luis Sepulveda, who passionately, passionately worked to educate every single Senate colleague as to why there were far more pluses than negatives for any individual senator. So I want to give a shout out to him for the work that he did in the Senate to help get us past the finish line. On the marijuana legalization, you know, the governor's stance publicly, at least, was that, you know, he sort of pulled away because you didn't have the votes. And your stance is you need the governor to help get you the votes. Is that correct? I mean, is it sort of that he has enough sway in those negotiations that he can lean on, I don't know, some of those Long Island and suburban senators that you're not able to necessarily bring along? How does that work? So there were lots of issues where people really wanted a commitment that the state police would be there to do X. Now, I I need the governor to say the state will be there to do X. The Department of Health will be there to do Y. The court system will be there to do Z. That bill, when you rarely look at it, impacts at least eight different state agencies. You can't simply legislate and believe that all those agencies are immediately going to change course to do what the law says unless you have an executive behind it. So that's what I mean by saying you needed a strong executive saying, yes, I'm committed to this. When we say the police will be there to do the retrainings on how you deal with issues of driving while under the influence and how you evaluate that. I mean that. I'm the governor saying we'll be there and we'll have the state troopers doing that. When I say the Department of Health and the Department of Ag and Markets will be there to do E, F, and G, I mean it. So it really is the kind of issue where if the governor's not signaling, signaling his support, it's hard to get people to take a leap to vote for something that they have concerns about. You also don't want to be beat up by that governor if you support something and then he says, well, I don't support that. Why would they do that? (laughs) So it was very much a push and pull, and it's an oversimplification for anyone to say, you have to have this in order to get these votes, and if not, you don't have these specific votes. So. Plenty of members had different issues that were bringing them to the table or making them nervous at different times, and that was true in the Assembly as well. 
You want to jump in here on this? I mean, what you're, you you were you were fully behind legalization. What, what did you see? Yeah, so um, you know, I, I'd agree with Senator Kruger, who herself I think did a pretty masterful job at educating the conference. You know, I think the point has to be made that there is. I'm in full support. I represent a pretty diverse district, um, but I have a lot of folks in my district that are not excited about legalization. Um, you know, this I've heard some of this when I would be back in the district. We held forums on this. Um, there would be people that would come up to me. Some of my seniors would say, uh, "We are we're, we're not with this now." I am willing to make the case to my community why this is important for us, not just the decriminalization, but the economic opportunity that it would provide for folks. I think that we do have a lot of support there, but the assumption that even in the districts where the representatives were fully in support, uh, that that the the support in the district was monolithic, I think is a presumption that that we need to, to, to fight back against. And so I'm ready to double down and do the work on education um, and talking to the folks in my community about why this is important and good for us. So to talk about another huge issue that came up and, and was passed, that was the sweeping changes to the rent laws. You know, since those occurred, there has obviously been a lot of um, complaining and uh, worrying by uh, property owners and their advocacy groups about the effect this might have. Even some people in labor unions and in the business community talking about the impact it might have. I'm sure you've heard some of that from people like that in your districts. Is there anything to that? Is there any concern that at the margins there might be an impact upon the capital stock, upon housing, that it will hurt some smaller landlords? Is there a possibility that there'll need to be a correction at some time, or is that all just hot air? You know, let me say that this argument is the same argument that the real estate industry has made for over a century. And I'm not being hyperbolic. This, uh, You can go look at the headlines from when rent control was first instituted in the 1920s. And Remney, which was still in existence then, uh, said that this would lead to the demise of the entire housing stock and that New York was headed for doom and gloom. Of course, that has proven not to be true. And I think it's the same thing here. Anytime you challenge and entrench the interest, particularly when it is a monetary one, you're going to get this pushback. The numbers say something completely different. Most of the people that are responsible for the evictions and the bad behavior that we try to stem with these laws are huge landlords. They're not the small landlords. Uh, And so we considered all of this when we were crafting the laws. We invited all interested parties to talk to us about what they would find reasonable. And we made a decision based on what we felt was best for the tenants while protecting the building stock as well. So I look forward to having these conversations about what else we can do to protect our properties here in in the state of New York. I think we need to look at our property taxes. I think we need to look at our incentives. I'm happy to have that discussion. But on the rent, laws, I think we have now uh, moved into a paradigm where the tenants are now going to be protected, whereas in the past they have not been. Senator Kruger, you want to jump in on that? Um, I agree with Zellner completely. Of course, there may be outlier situations, and they can be addressed through programs that, at least here in the city of New York, HPD already runs to support buildings that find themselves in hardship situations or in need of other kinds of subsidies that actually already exist. I do think the actions we took this year will translate into the city of New York and the state of New York reevaluating some of their other tax abatement and exemption programs to better target them towards low-income and affordable housing that needs to be preserved. For example, the J-51 program 
We only, it's, it's sunset at the same time. We only did a one-year extension because the city of New York said, we really need to look at that and evaluate how that $400 million a year of property tax money is being spent because it turns out the vast majority of it is going to co-ops and condos that are not affordable. And I'm just not sure in the 21st century we ought to be doing tax abatements for work on buildings that are well-financed, are not targeted to affordable housing. And we perhaps should use that $400 million of J51 money in much better ways to support the preservation of actual affordable apartments in the city of New York. That's just one example. Okay. Interesting. Um, so I think the, um, you know, some of the issues we've talked about, marijuana, rent regulations, driver's licenses, obviously at the beginning we went through a big list of things that did get done. Now we've gotten into a list of things that did or did not get done, but were some of the trickier uh, negotiations. You know, there was a lot of things that you all were able to do in the first few months that seemed there was so much agreement on it was almost, uh, it went so fast uh, that, that people almost barely noticed. But those those other policies that we just discussed, there was this strange, and you got at this a little bit, Senator Kruger, on the marijuana, there was this strange back and forth between the governor and your conference. And I think myself and I think a lot of other New Yorkers who pay attention to some of this don't quite understand what was going on between the governor and your conference and why he he was sort of taking the approach he did of I don't think they have the votes for rent regulations. I don't think they have the votes for marijuana uh you know, sort of questioning whether the Senate Democrats were ready to govern. What w- what was going on there? Was that just hangover from the Amazon situation, uh, Senator Kruger? Do you, do you have a sense of, of what that was? I decided long ago that I was never going to try to explain Andrew Cuomo or his behavior on any given day. So I sincerely don't know. I suppose I could define it as he was testing us and he was playing bad cop and our job was to show hey bad cop we're ready to govern we have our act together we're going to be there and then you're going to come along because you know that we are in the right place and a place you want to be now why he doesn't take the approach of oh you're a new majority you're trying to do enormous things that are my agenda issues. Let's work together and get to that place together. I sincerely don't know, um, but I think you'd have to ask him. Was he, Senator Myrie, was he seemingly to you sort of uncomfortable with how far this Democratic, you know, after so many years of triangulating, that's very clear he was able to sort of masterfully pull the Senate Republicans and the IDC and this Assembly Democrats together and pass big things he wanted to, but also keep, you know, a lot of things sort of at bay or compromise on issues. Um, did he? Did it seem to you like he was uncomfortable with the, the swing that was at play? Yeah, I mean, I share Senator Kruger's uh, trepidation <laughs> of trying to figure out what the governor is thinking and why he does what he does. Uh, but I think anyone in his position, 
uh, would be trying to adjust. If you have spent the entirety of your governorship uh, in main control and trying to get some progressive wins with a Republican-controlled Senate, I think you're going to be um, you're going to have to adjust to the new dynamic of now. Um, you have very uh, what I believe a very powerful leader in Andrea Stewart Cousins um, with a conference full of people who uh, ran in sort of an unorthodox way. Right? We don't have the same reliance on uh, on some of the institutions that people usually rely on to get there. And so, not only are, are you managing this new majority, but I think you're managing some new members uh, who were handling uh, the, 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 the machinations of Albany in a different way. And I, I just want to quickly say, I asked that in part not for palace intrigue, although that's fun and interesting, but it, it clearly affected policy. I mean, as Senator Kruger was saying, in terms of the marijuana negotiations, you know, the, how the governor was approaching the state Senate, you know, clearly had some impact on what got done and what didn't. Sorry, Jared. No, no, totally. And speaking about how the personal and political blend, uh, let's talk about another big figure in the state, uh, Mayor de Blasio, presidential candidate de Blasio. Um, Senator Kruger, I'll start with you since you are a veteran uh, of Albany for, for longer than Senator Myrie. Was Bill de Blasio as present in negotiations, in talks about issues that mattered to the city in Albany this year as he had been in the past, as he should have been? Hmm. No, he wasn't that present. Whether he should have been is a separate question because not as a disrespect to him, so please don't misunderstand, but the general sense of Albany is if the mayor really wanted something, that would cause a problem. So it would be better if people made clear what the hopes of the city were without the mayor being the banner front pusher on that, whatever those issues are. So just, just clarify, is, is that, is that because that if, if, if de Blasio likes it, the governor won't, or is that because if de Blasio likes it, there are folks in the legislature who would not be that excited about it? I think both. Both. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, in terms of the interests of the city, you both obviously represent constituents in the city. How did that balance go of, interests that really mattered to New York City representatives, and you obviously in your Senate uh, conference had to really be concerned about these suburban, especially Long Island members who helped you have now this big majority, and you've got an election next year, you know, and clearly Senate Republicans are going to use some of what you passed against those members to try to flip. I don't think anybody that I've talked to, even on the Republican side, thinks they're taking control of the chamber back, but at least flip back a few seats um, that they think. How did that go balancing the the more city issues and the suburban issues? You know, I think that the leader did a really good job at trying to balance uh, uh, these two um, bases, right? You have uh, folks who took Republican seats and have constituents that have different interests than the folks uh, in central Brooklyn. And I really want to take the time to applaud some of my colleagues from the suburbs and out in Long Island who took some difficult votes that they're going to have to explain going back to 2020, whereas I can come back to the district and be very laudatory about Greenlight. I have a lot of immigrants in my district. Um, other folks may not be able to do the same. Um, you know, I think that we we are going uh, to have to balance uh, our approach here. And I think that because we're going to have such a higher turnout in, in 2020, I think that the bases are going to be motivated. I think the same folks that allowed for these um, senators to take these seats they're going to be coming out, and I think they're going to be more people coming out excited about challenging the man in the White House right now. Any any frustrations for you, Senator Kruger, that there was 
you know, some of this, these no votes from some of the Long Island Democrats, some of the fracturing of the conference a little bit on some of these big votes? No, no frustration because it's exactly as described. Andrea Stewart-Cousins did an extraordinary job of developing a rapport between the different members and an understanding of where we need to go as a conference. So we spent more time in that conference room hammer things, hammering things out, talking in depth about both the policy and the potential problems for individual members if certain votes took place. And I don't know any legislative body that I've ever even studied that put the time and effort into hearing everyone, hearing their concerns, figuring out how we could work with each other. We recognize the big state, really different areas, really different issues. We want to make sure we grow our majority in 2020. We don't want to put anyone at risk. And frankly, the more we grow our majority, both the more diversified our needs will be, but also the more opportunity we'll have to allow people to not take votes that they think aren't the right answers for their constituents while still being able to move the people's business for the entire state forward. So, you know, I think storylines coming out that there was problems and tensions were sort of somebody's got to write something as opposed to the actual feelings inside the conference and the ability of all 39 of us to sit down and really hash out differences and how we were going to approach them. So the idea of vote based on what your constituents want trumped let's all have a unanimous conference vote on these matters. Yes. I mean, obviously in a few issues we needed to make sure we got to 32 but this was not a conference where the leader walks in, says, now you're all going to vote this way, walks out and expects everyone to do it. That is the counter opposite of how Andrea approaches her role as a leader. That's why I think she is unbelievably unique as a leader who is actually a true believer in consensus building and respecting each and every member's concerns and issues. Some of the items that did not get taken up or did not get decided, I mean, obviously marijuana is its own case, but I was wondering things like uh, surrogacy and prevailing wage and parolee voting rights, some of the other criminal justice reforms people wanted, 50A uh, revision. The fact that they were not acted on, I wonder, is that because of the merits and the debates about those topics? Or did you guys just like run out of time because <laughs> there was so much to do? And they were big, you know, the Climate Change Act is a big thing. Re- regulations were a big thing. Marijuana, obviously, yeah, we did took a lot of time in the room. Uh, but I'm wondering, like, the, things, the things that weren't done, were those because of doubts about those issues or just like time ran out of the clock? Senator Myrie. Um, I mean, I think you would have to take them um, each individually. I, I don't think that collectively we said, okay, well, we have met the progressive quota. Now we will no longer legislate. I think that each particular issue presented its own issues. And I think that we have just like what we were talking about uh, just now about the differences in regions and what people uh, consider a, a good or a safe vote. You know, I think on some of the uh, criminal justice stuff that we didn't get done, I think that those presented some issues that we still 
still need to work through. Uh, I think the same thing with prevailing wage. I mean, even when you look at something like solitary confinement, uh, that you know there was strong advocacy around. There were many of us in the conference that wanted to see uh, it get done, but but we were we weren't able to get there uh, this year. And so I think that we have an opportunity to further discuss what didn't get done, take it up at the beginning of the next session. Uh, and by the time that we get to January of 2020, there will be 50 more things uh, that people uh, will come up with that we have not gotten done, that we have not paid enough attention to. Uh, and I look forward to ta- you know, taking that on in full earnest. Uh, Senator Kruger, one more for you before we, we get sure. you both out of here in another minute or two. I, I wanted to ask you about this um, this the pay raises and the outside income. What is going on with that? There was a, there's a court ruling that says the the pay commission that that tried to ban outside income for legislators while granting pay raises that that overstepped its bounds. Um, why didn't the legislature sort of do its own bill on this and try to take care of this this matter of, of severely limiting legislators' outside incomes and allowing the pay raises to move forward? Um, I think because the two houses have very different positions. I think most of the Senate Democrats would absolutely support legislation banning outside income a la the congressional model. I don't believe there was the momentum in the assembly for that. I think that's part of the reason this ended up somehow in a commission. I believe I've heard that the attorney general is still determining whether or not she will appeal the court decision that ruled against the commission because, again, as the lawyer for the state, that's actually in her ballywick, but there are multiple cases. There's also a parallel federal case on this that is also moving through the courts. So I'm just not sure that there was consensus um, among the legislature to try to do it independently. Speaking for myself, I've always been a supporter for full-time legislature, full-time pay, not outside income all of the congressional model and now the New York City Council model. Um, but there are a lot of people with outside jobs in the legislature, and I think they were the ones involved with suing. Interestingly, the court found in their favor so far, um, and I, so I don't think the storyline is done yet. Interesting. Well, there's a million uh, things we didn't get to. Obviously, as we indicated at the top of the show, uh, there was so much action in Albany this year, but it was good to hit on some of the highlights, some of the things, obviously, that moved through, some of the things where there was a very interesting compromise, and then some of the things that look like they'll form uh, the basis for the agenda moving forward. Senators Zellner Myrie of Brooklyn and Liz Kruger of Manhattan, thanks very much for joining us here on WBAI. Thank you for having us. Thanks so much for having us. And so as we come to the end of another episode, Ben, what are you looking at uh, in the next week or so? Well, we're definitely looking at uh, a little bit, as I said at the top of the show, how Mayor de Blasio performs on the presidential debate stage. I am especially listening in for how he describes his record as mayor. I mean, I think if there's anything that deserves a fact check from the mayor's presidential campaign, it's how he describes his his tenure here in the city. So definitely keeping uh, an eye on that. We have a deep dive coming on the issue of property tax reform, something Senator Myrie mentioned as uh, something that should probably be on the Albany agenda by the time they return next year. So we're working our way through reporting out a big piece on property tax reform. 
How about you? Uh, we have a deep dive coming on uh, large bedrooms in the city, how they're disappearing, bedrooms with three bedrooms or four, uh, which used to be a small but important part of the stock and are decreasing in size, especially within subsidized programs. And that's putting a lot of particularly large families uh, under pressure. And also look at something called Resilient Neighborhoods, which is a planning process the de Blasio, Bloomberg and then de Blasio team uh, instituted after Hurricane Sandy in some very small, particular waterfront communities like Edgewater Park and Bronx and Canarsie and Brooklyn, trying to plan out specific solutions to their specific problems, looking into whether or not those have actually had any impact on the level of safety and resiliency there. So a couple of interesting dives on housing I'll, and on climate change. You, you guys at City Limits always have the most interesting stories that seem to sort of pop uh, out of nowhere and, and are important, important policy matters. Um, I'll say one other thing we've got coming at Gotham Gazette actually tomorrow is, um, you know, we try to get to some of these city council hearings that don't get covered. Um, we try to do a lot of those. And so we just covered a, a hearing of the city council looking at the latest reporting from the mayor's office. Um, it used to be called the mayor's office to protect, uh, to prevent domestic violence. Uh, it's got a different name now, but um, domestic and gender-based violence. And so they put out a report. There was a city council hearing about it. I think we were the only outlet with a reporter there. So we've got a piece coming on that latest report. The number of domestic violence calls to the NYPD have risen quite a bit, like rape reports uh, during this Me Too era, um, which seems to indicate a lot more reporting of actual incidents happening than in the past. Um, but of course, then the city also needs to do more to respond. So uh, we've got something coming on that and a whole bunch of, of other things, of course. So read us on GothamGazette.com, CityLimits.org. Tune in here next Wednesday at 5 p.m. for Max and Murphy. Stay tuned now for the WBAI Evening News. Until next week, have a great week in the greatest city in the world.